Welcome to the Kate Daly Show. In our defense, they did leave us unsupervised. The show starts now. You know, the real miracle of Christmas is that any religious significance remains. Despite the gaudy tinsel wrapping, the meaning of the Christ Mass remains somehow intact. Though our eager eyes now search the skies for man-made stars, we yet remember best the one which once upon a time stood still over a stable. This is the miracle of Christmas. Not that so many profane the day with self-indulgence, but that so many still trudge through the snow to an early service or a midnight mass. If after generations of effort we still tend to disparage the day, what do you suppose would happen if we instead renewed it? There are no more lengths to which we can go to dilute its significance. Perhaps we should revert to reverence. For if this magic day, despite the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, has somehow survived and thrived, my goodness, with proper care and tending, the love it represents might heal all of our hurts. The faith we could not starve to death, properly fed just once each year, might overwhelm the world. Anyway, we've tried everything else. The revitalization of Christmas will be as tedious as its erosion was gradual, but there's no better time than right now, because it's later than it's ever been. Where do we begin? With prayerful thankfulness, I think. Merry Christmas, we traditionally say to one another. Merry Christmas. Yet that's not the larger meaning of the day. It's his birthday, not ours. Love that. That comes from Paul Harvey, the legend. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, this is a Friday show, and of course, Christmas is upon us this weekend and and Monday. So. I cannot wait to do this show today, and I just, you know my love for Christmas, I don't hide it, and uh, I absolutely am celebrating, not just celebrating, really celebrating it this year, and I'm so excited to bring on such a fantastic guest um, right now in the beginning of the show. Father Dwight Longenecker is the author of so many books. I mean, I could go on and on um, about his career. One of the books that intrigues me uh, that he's written is Mystery of the Magi, The Quest to Identify the three wise men. And what's great about this, well, he's going to tell us, actually, he's going to talk about this brand new book uh, called The Secret of Bethlehem Shepherds, The Secret of the Bethlehem Shepherds. You have so much to write on, and I absolutely love this. Welcome to the show, uh, Father uh, Dwight Longenecker. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Merry Christmas to all our listeners. Merry Christmas, absolutely. Okay, so bring us down this path of the mystery of the Magi. This is wonderful, by the way. We had you on uh, several years back, and it was such a treat. I wanted to ask you back. You also have this new book, and so I can't wait to hear about that, too. But let's start with the mystery of the Magi, the quest to identify the three wise men. The famous Paul Harvey clip that we just listened to mm -hmm. um, makes the point that over the years, the Christmas story, or as scholars call it, the infancy narratives in the Gospels, mm -hmm. have been elaborated and have been um, embellished over the years with lots of extra details that are not actually in the Gospel story. And this began as early as the second century, just about a hundred years after the events themselves. And then these stories are very attractive. You know, they've got everything which makes a story attractive. A little baby, mm -hmm. a young mother, a worried father, animals, exotic wizards from the Far East, mm -hmm. simple shepherds. I mean, it's a very attractive and romantic story. Sure. And therefore, it's natural that we have added and embellished details to it over the years. Okay. But what I wanted to do 
was uh, to get back to the stories themselves and the history that we could actually discover from recent studies and archaeology and textual studies, because the tendency is, as we've embellished the stories over the centuries, to treat the whole thing as one big fairy tale. You know, right. Right. Christmas has a lot of other fairy tale elements, uh, flying reindeer, yeah. singing snowmen, <laughs> so a fat true. elf who squeezes down everybody's <laughs> chimney on Christmas Eve, right. Right. <laughs> and all it's these so other delightful things, mm-hmm. but which don't really have anything to do with the Christmas story. So uh, it's, it's a tendency, therefore, to treat the Christmas story of Jesus' birth also as yet another magical, mystical element or a fairy tale, which is beautiful and which is much beloved, but which is not really true. So true. So we're told the wise men from the East in the legend. So let's talk about that story and let's talk about some of the proof and some of the things that you found. Yes. Um, One of the details is right up front where we talk about the three wise men. Mm -hmm. Well, St. Matthew is the gospel writer who tells us about the wise men, and he doesn't actually tell us there were three. Hmm. Instead, this tradition came about because there were three gifts. And so people began to associate the three gifts with three different wise men, one who brought each of the gifts. But Matthew doesn't tell us that there were three. And indeed, in the early church, the centuries of the early church, Mm -hmm. various different retellings of the story were um, going around in different parts of the ancient world, sometimes with three wise men, sometimes with six, Mm -hmm. sometimes with seven, sometimes even with 12. Mm. And all of them had different names and had different backgrounds and different legends attached to them. The idea that there were just three has come down to our tradition and so we believe we, we tell the story about there being three wise men because there were three gifts. But Matthew doesn't actually say how many there were. Interesting. Okay. All right. And so the what really then what really happened? Where did they come from? Who was it? What really happened? Well, before we get there, I'd like to explain another detail which came into the story, and that is that they were kings. In fact, Matthew doesn't say that they were kings either. This detail comes in from an an interpretation of the Old Testament prophecy from the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah says, the kings will come from these distant lands bringing gold and incense, Mm -hmm. and therefore the early Christians interpreted that passage from the Old Testament to be referring to the Magi, and therefore the idea that they were kings also came into the story. Mm, Okay, all right. And so what really happened? What do you think? Well, I went to do the research and dug into the Old Testament prophecies, which said that they came from Midian, Saba, and Shaba, hmm. and Kedar. And I began to ask myself, well, where, who was living in these territories in the New Testament times when Jesus was born? Right. And I discovered that these territories were all controlled by the fabulously wealthy and powerful kingdom of the Nabataeans. And the Nabataeans controlled the important trade routes across the Arabian Peninsula. Ships were coming from India and China across the Indian Ocean to the ports in present-day Yemen, and the Nabataean traders loaded up their camel caravans there in the eastern part of the Arabian Peninsula and trekked across the Arabian Peninsula to their capital in Petra, which is in present-day Jordan, and then continued their journey north into Syria, south into Egypt, and then continued west to the port of Gaza, Mm -hmm. 
very much in the news today, right. where they unloaded their camel caravans so these goods could be shipped to the rest of the Roman Empire. Hmm. And then what happened from there? What do you think? Uh, you well, it, it, one of the other things which points to the Nabataeans mm-hmm. as the true wise men of Matthew's story, there are several other pointers from Matthew's story. First of all, that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And frankincense and myrrh are taken from the sap of bushes which only grow in eastern Arabia, the territory of the Nabataeans. Okay. Also, during this time period, in Western Arabia and in Northeast Africa, also controlled by the Nabataeans, were some of the finest and purest gold mines of the ancient world. Hmm. Okay. People might have heard of the, the, the mines of King Solomon. These were the gold mines in Arabia. Therefore, these three gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were kind of the cash crops of the Nabataean kingdom. They had a monopoly on these three precious um, commodities, and therefore it makes sense that they were the ones who brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Bethlehem to um, pay homage to the Christ child. Okay. I mean, I can see that. I can see that they that, that maybe they would have traded different in different places with this commodity that they had of frankincense and myrrh too. But I, would, I could see also that that would be what they would give because it would be native to what and who they are, right? Yeah, it was a way, it was a way of honoring their country and right. honoring the king that they right. were coming to pay homage to. Right. And we know from the, uh, the textual records of the ancient world that this was a commonplace, so that very often if um, diplomatic visitors came from Africa, mm-hmm. they would bring elephants and ivory right. and slaves and the exotic animals from Africa. And so it makes sense that we know they did this in the ancient world, and therefore the Nabataeans would bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Wow. Okay. So counselors from the court of the king of these people, possibly? Yes. My theory is that they were actually um, paying homage to the new king of the Jews, and they were coming from the court of King Aretas IV in Petra to pay homage to the king of the Jews, who they thought was a descendant or a grandson or grandson of Herod the Great. Because remember, the wise men go, first of all, to Jerusalem, right. and they pay, they pay homage to Herod the Great. And he says, but I don't have a son or a grandson. Who is this king you're talking about? And then they're redirected to Bethlehem. Oh, interesting. What about the star? Well, there's a lot of different theories about the star. Mm-hmm. Astronomers have been... Uh, trying to pick their brains over the star for centuries. And therefore, when you begin to do research on the star, you find that there are actually dozens of different theories and ideas about what the star actually was. But perhaps it's more fruitful to actually say who were the wise men. The wise men were very likely to have been astrologers. They were stargazers. And we know that the Nabataean religion was a stargazing religion, Mm -hmm. and the priests of the Nabataean religion were astrologers. We know this from archaeological evidence from the Nabataean temples that have been been uncovered. They've discovered stone zodiacs and references to the planets and the stars. So we know they were actually astrologers, and it's most likely that instead of a magical star guiding them across the desert sands, instead this is a reference to seeing certain planets which were arising in particular constellations and that the wise men astrologers saw the configuration of these mm-hmm. planets and these constellations right. and drew the conclusion that a new king was going to be born to the Jews how and many, therefore set out on their journey. How many do you think came? 
I'm sorry, say that again? How many do you think came? I know that there wasn't really a reference to three. How many do you think came? How many do you think uh, were on that journey? I, uh, you know, I don't really know. I'm envisioning a, a small caravan of mm -hmm. a small handful of wise men. We know there's right. more than one. Right, right. I'm reckoning that maybe there, were, maybe there were three or five, but they also probably had a whole retinue of soldiers and, yeah, and security men and servants who were, right. who were traveling with them. I was thinking that, too. I'll be right back with uh, Father Dwight Longenecker, and the book is Mystery of the Magi, The Quest to Identify the Three Wise Men. Fascinating stuff, right? Be right back. He'll also talk about uh, secrets of the Bethlehem shepherds, too. Be right back. His new book. Be right back. Merry Christmas, everybody. Did you know that December is a great time to text Birch Gold? Uh, 989898 is the phone number, and you can text my name, Kate. And let me just tell you, they're giving you free silver eagles when you do this. When you transfer everything over your IRAs and your uh, retirement to gold-backed. So really what you're doing is taking an extra step to um, enforce it's availability in the future, if you will, in making sure that everything is in, you know, concrete, right? As far as that goes. And this is a great time to do it. So for every $5,000 uh, you purchase, it's basically you're moving everything over for free. Um, and in a 401k tax sheltered IRA in gold, uh, you're going to get a free Eagle up until December uh, 22nd. So please make sure and do that. Look, these are the guys I trust. I'm not going to give you a company that I don't trust. I trust Birch Gold. Ron Paul trusts Birch Gold. He talks about him incessantly because he loves what they do. And he uses his own resources with Birch Gold. So what I'm telling you is, look, this is a great company that you can trust. They're doing a great service for you. And they're also giving you free, uh, free Silver Eagle coins um, when you do this. And... It might not cost you a dime, which is even better. And if you're wondering whether you should do it or not, why would you, you back up your computer? Why would you not back up everything that you've got out there, right? I know you're worried about it because of digital currency coming in. So take that step. My gosh, at least get the free information. Just at least do me that. Get the free information. Text 989898. That's the phone number. And text my name, Kate. So easy. It'll take you two seconds. Please do that. And then at least I know you've got the free information. Merry Christmas. This is the Kate Daly Show. Tannenbaum, gesungen vom Nebequartett Edison Rekord. Welcome back. You know, I had to play that because it's 1907, one of the, I think it was one of the first recorded Christmas songs. And uh, can you imagine going back to 1907? Well, I know it's scratchy. It's from the Library of Congress. And uh, of course, sounds beautiful to me. Uh, I love it. And also, I just wanted to mention, go over to Birch Gold, 989898. Text that number and text my name, Kate, and you'll get some free information to look at and uh, get your assets, get your uh, IRAs and retirements backed by gold. It's really important.
important. Take that step over the holidays because I'm telling you, it's very, very necessary with what's happening in the world right now. Okay. Um, and today's the last day you can grab free silver eagles from them for doing so. And it doesn't cost you anything to get it backed by gold. Then take the extra step. 98, 98, 98 and text my name, Kate. Okay. Just right now while you're sitting on your phone. Uh, Father uh, Dwight Longenecker is on with me. Mystery of the Magi, the quest to identify the three wise men. Is it safe to say that going back in history, I mean, this what, what we what some people call a story in the scriptures, there's a lot of evidence to support what you're talking about. There's a lot of evidence, more evidence than we realize when it comes to the scriptures. Safe to say? Uh, there, is, there is, and in fact, uh, in the present day, the, the, the day that we live in now is exciting because mm -hmm. of the comparatively modern sciences of anthropology and archaeology and forensics, we know more about the ancient world of Bible times, certainly than our fathers, grandfathers, and great-grandfathers did. Right. And because of this, we can pick through the evidence, and some of the evidence is just fascinating to be able to um, understand and learn more about Bible times. And virtually all that we discover um, corroborates the historical accuracy mm -hmm. of, the, of, the of the Bible text. I love that. I love that. Talk to me about your new book, Secrets of the Bethlehem Shepherds. I'm excited to find out what you're, what you're writing about now. <clears throat> this is great. Yeah. Um, after I wrote the book on the Magi, I thought it would be, which are recorded in Matthew's Gospel, mm -hmm. I thought it would be good to try to go and learn more about the Bethlehem Shepherds, uh -huh. some of the key actors in the account of the Christmas story in Luke's Gospel. Okay. And our listeners should remember that there are two different stories about two different versions, if you like, of the Christmas story. Matthew really tells the story from St. Joseph's point of view and tells us about the wise men mm -hmm. and the flight into Egypt. And Luke tells us about Mary in, in Nazareth, the visitation to St. Elizabeth, the birth in Bethlehem, the um, shepherds, and mm -hmm. so forth. And, and so they're telling us about the same event, but from two different perspectives. Right. But in our traditions, we have tended to conflate the two together mm -hmm. and see the wise men arriving on Christmas Eve mm -hmm. along with um, the shepherds and Mary and Joseph all at the stable. Right. However, these are two different stories and two different accounts of the same events, uh, which happened at different times. Mm, okay. So I want you to and keep so elaborating, I went to, yeah. I had to, two, to answer your question, I had a two-month sabbatical, so I spent that in Jerusalem and Bethlehem wow. researching and finding out as much as I could about the Bethlehem shepherds and Luke's account of the story. Who were the shepherds? The shepherds would have been the ordinary um, farmers in the Bethlehem region, mm -hmm. and they would have been descendants of shepherds from that uh, area for generations past. Remember, King David in the Old Testament was a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. And so these right. shepherds would have been descendants probably of that extended family of Jesse mm -hmm. from which King David came. They would have been proud of their heritage, uh, and that heritage was conditioned by the, the larger Bedouin culture or nomadic culture there in the ancient Middle East. I see. Okay. So traveling to Bethlehem and um, being homeless that night, what about that part of the story? Yes? Well, I need to correct that because, okay. in fact, this is one of the embellishments that have come into the story comparatively recently, mm -hmm. that Mary and Joseph and the Holy and baby Jesus were homeless on Christmas night. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's very unlikely that they were homeless for some very important reasons. First of all, the tradition of hospitality mm -hmm. 
uh, and and family loyalty is very strong in the ancient Middle East. Mm. So if Joseph was tra- taking his young wife back to his hometown, mm-hmm. it would have been very unlikely that his relatives in Bethlehem would have allowed them to be homeless. Interesting. Okay. And also, so, mm-hmm, go ahead. Um, we're familiar we're familiar with the inn uh-huh. and the grumpy innkeeper, but maybe we want to talk about that after the break. Yes, we'll talk about that after the break. And why were the manger and the swaddling clothes assigned to them? I also want to ask you about that too, uh, because okay, we'll talk about that in yeah, a few moments. Yeah, let's do. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Kay Daly show Christmas show, of course, because we're this close to Christmas, and so we'll be right back. KayDalyRadio.com, where you'll find the SoundCloud podcast that you can share of this particular show. Be right back. This is the Kate Daly Show. Christmas Carol, Silent Night by the Edison Quartet. Daly Show. Love it. Uh, that was from 1910, Silent Night. And that's one of the first uh, Christmas song recordings that we have in the Library of Congress. And so I welcome back uh, Father Dwight Longenecker, who wrote the book Mystery of the Magi, The Quest to Identify the Three Wise Men, and also Secrets of Bethlehem Shepherds, which is brand new. And of course, I think one of the main messages as we're talking about this is that it, this story never needed the embellishments or the fill-ins. The story itself self was fantastic enough and amazing enough yes yes it is and because of all the embellishments over the centuries it's easy to dismiss all of the stories as fairy tales but going back and looking at the history and doing the research helps us to realize that these were the birth of jesus christ was a real event in human history with real people at a real time and a real place. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Here is uh, from Luke. It says, and so it was that they, that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over over their flock by night. And then the angel comes to them. But, you know, I never thought about that, that it says that there was no room at the inn, but it doesn't mean they were homeless. Right, and we need to correct that word, the inn. That's come down to us from that beautiful old English translation that you, that you quoted. Okay. But the scholars have pointed out that the word, the Greek word that is translated in, is the word kataluma. Ah. And kataluma actually means not inn or hotel or hostel, uh, or tavern, or we have a picture of a kind of medieval inn, you know, with right. thatch and an English kind of <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. ye old ye, right. ye old pub or village inn. Right. In fact, Bethlehem was too small a village to have uh, the inn or the the inn or the public hostelry of its day. Hmm. And we know that the word Cataluma actually means guest room, oh. and it's used elsewhere in the gospel when. Jesus is going to celebrate the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. He tells his disciples to go and find a room. And the word there is kataluma, which is therefore the upper room where the Last Supper was held. Okay. Um, There are other words which are used for uh, a public hostelry, pantechion, for instance. And St. Luke uses that word in the story of the Good Samaritan, where the Good Samaritan takes the man who was wounded Mm -hmm. to an inn. And 
if St. Luke wanted us to think of that kind of an inn, he used, would have used the word pentechion. Instead, he uses the word cataluma. And we know that the houses of the ancient of Jesus' time in a village like Bethlehem would have been simple one- or two-room houses, very often built in front of a cave. Right. The hills around there have many caves because of the soft limestone that the hills are, are composed of. And this one- or two-room house would have also had a room up on the roof, an extra room, which was a guest room. Mm. And therefore, the proper translation was, there was no room for them in the family's guest room, therefore the baby was born in the stable, which was the room behind the house, which was used for, for, for a stable and for storage. So in present-day sort of understanding, we would say that Joseph and Mary turned up at the home of one of his relatives. Mm-hmm. There was no room in the guest room because it was already occupied mm-hmm. or it was too small for a family to live in. Mm-hmm. So they went down to the storeroom. In our understanding, it would be like the basement or the garage where there was some extra room, and that's where the baby was born. Oh, that's so interesting. I've never really thought about this, so I'm actually glad you're talking about it, because it says, and there there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field. It doesn't mean they were in the field. It means that around them was the country, right, the countryside. Yes, and the typical, the traditional place for those shepherds Uh is found in the neighboring town of Bet-Sehor, which is the neighboring town to Bethlehem. Uh, And when you go on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, you visit the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem, but you also go to the shepherd's fields, which are in Bet-Sehor, just about a half a mile or a mile away from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is up on a hill higher than Bet-Sehor. And when you go to the um, shepherd's fields in Bet-Sehor, you can look across the valley and see the hilltop town of Bethlehem where Jesus would have been born. And you can visualize the shepherds in the fields in Bethsehor saying, let us go then over to Bethlehem to see this young child that has been born. Oh, I love that. Okay, and then of course the uh, swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Well, the angels say to the shepherds, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And there is a beautiful story going around the Internet which says that the shepherds in Bethlehem were actually breeding the sheep that would be and the lambs that would be used for the Passover sacrifice just five miles away in the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And it's likely that they were actually raising the animals to be used for the sacrifices in the temple at Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. However, the story goes on that the Passover lambs would have been born and while they had to, before they could be inspected by the priests, they had to be wrapped in strips of cloth and laid in a feeding trough. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the story goes, when the shepherds would have seen the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger, they would realize that they were looking at the true Passover lamb. Wow. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. However, one of the reasons I went to Jerusalem and Bethlehem to research my book was to see if I could find any evidence for that particular story. Mm-hmm that particular embellishment to the nativity story. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to say that I did not find any evidence for that story. Okay. So, and I searched mm -hmm. all the documents and I spoke to scholars from the Hebrew university. Mm -hmm. I met to Bethlehem and spoke to scholars and got tour guides there in Bethlehem who were very knowledgeable. I actually met some present day Bethlehem shepherds and I said, 
did you or your ancestors ever wrap lambs in swaffling clothes? Mm -hmm. And they said, no, we never did, and we don't now, except we do wrap our babies like that. Ah, and, and so the reason I think this was assigned to the Bethlehem shepherds mm -hmm. was because the angels were saying, look, you will find this baby being born in a very typical house, just like one of yours, mm -hmm. wrapped in swaddling clothes, just like one of your babies. And here you will find not necessarily the one they would recognize as the Lamb of God, but you would find another shepherd, the one who would come to be the good shepherd. Mm, okay, and then uh, lying in a manger, because the scripture says you shall find the babe swaddling, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Yes, so. and we have a picture of a rickety wooden manger, and um, St. Joseph taking the hay and filling the manger so it would make a nice cradle bed for the baby. Mm -hmm. In fact, the archaeologists tell us that these houses, which were built in front of the stable, mm -hmm. would have had a stone half wall in between the stable and the and the and the main room of the house okay and that half wall would have had carved on the top of it an indentation which was used as a feeding trough and therefore this was the manger bed where baby jesus was laying and therefore he would have actually been it would have made a perfect sort of uh, cradle bed for a baby um who could have been watched over by the people in the house and the parents who were in the stable just behind the house wow we have about a minute what do you want to leave people with uh Father Longenecker. Uh, yeah, I'd like to leave people with uh, uh, the encouragement to actually get the books and read more about the historical details of both mm -hmm. the wise men and the shepherds and what really happened in Matthew's telling of the story and Luke's telling of the story. And I'm not trying to get rid of all of the extras and the embellishments that would have mm -hmm. accumulated over the centuries, whether we have camels or not, whether we have shepherds or not in the stable, whether the stable is um, a sort of rickety little barn or whether it's a mm -hmm. cave right it doesn't really matter what really matters is that this is these stories are historical and the birth of jesus christ is the most important event in human history well amen to that i can't top that <laughs> um at 100 and it is the it is the actual event that happened and so i'm so grateful to you for coming on and clarifying some things that'll give everybody a, a reason to dive into the scriptures again too just to make sure they read through these stories i really appreciate you the secrets of the bethlehem oh, shepherds if yes? i could just conclude by saying on my blog, which is on my website, which is DwightLongenecker.com, uh -huh. I have a special offer for both of these books for Advent. And awesome. while they can't get the books in time for Christmas now, they can still order that get them special out offer. Uh, and you get got them. it. Dwight Longenecker, thank you so much. Appreciate you. It's really important that we take care of ourselves for our sake and the sake of our family. Taking balance of nature, I just feel better. I'm active. My wife and I go to the gym seven days a week. If the weather's nice like a day like this, I ride my bike. I've been taking balance of nature for the past 20 years. I won't give it up. I take balance of nature because it makes me feel great. I really thought that they paid people to say that stuff. And then I tried it. I was surprised. Balance of nature really was the game changer. I'm serious. It works. Celebrate Christmas with us. Go to balanceofnature.com and sign up as a new preferred customer to get 35% off your first order, plus a free fiber and spice supplement. Go to balanceofnature.com or call 1-800-246-8751 and get this exclusive holiday offer by using discount code KATE.
This is the Kate Daly Show. Joy to the world, played by the Edison Concert Band. from uh, 1906 that was uh, the first uh, Christmas song recording uh, to date um, and so I so appreciate you uh, tuned in and and listening today and I appreciate Father Dwight Longnecker for his research it's always interesting to me to look back in history and find more context and more truth about the things we do and it's interesting because just because he's talking about some of the more factual things about the story doesn't make the story less important. It makes the story more important because of the fact that I look at it and I think, you know, if this, if, if we have um, taken liberties and added things to the story, right? Um, like he said, a, a lot of people will walk away thinking it's too fantastical and not believe it. So it does the story, the real story harm. And then I kind of think about who we are and what we're doing and how far, how far we've kind of gotten off the path. Do you know what I mean? In, in our lives and, and how we need to sort of kind of recommit to the things that are most important. Because going back in history has been my love for 13 years. This has been what I do. And I absolutely... I, I, I love it so much. I'm up till three or four in the morning every single night doing research. And when I, when I hear wonderful stories, I love to play them for you. And when I, when I love, when I get the facts about things, I want to make sure and get that said and that known. I just think it's really important. This is one of my most beloved stories by Paul Harvey, and this is The Man and the Birds, A Christmas Story. I play this every year, and so I wanted to make sure and include it this year, and I just, this is a good one. I just love this, and Paul Harvey has such a great delivery. Here's Paul Harvey, A Man and the Birds, A Christmas Story. The man I'm talking about was not a Scrooge now. He was a kind, a decent, a mostly good man, generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men, but he just did not believe in all of that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just did not make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He could not swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm just not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay home, but that he would wait up for them. So he stayed, and they went to the midnight service. Now, shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. Then he went back to his fireside chair, began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, and then another, then yet another. At first he thought somebody must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled out there, miserably, in the snow. They had been caught in the storm, in a desperate search for shelter. They had tried to fly through his large landscape window. 
That was what had been making the sound. Well, he couldn't let those poor creatures just lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter. All he would have to do is direct the birds into that shelter. Quickly, he put on a coat and galoshes, and he tramped through the deepening snow to the barn, and he opened the doors wide. And inside the barn, he turned on a light so the birds would know the way in. But the birds did not come in. So he figured that food would entice them. He went back into the house and fetched some breadcrumbs and sprinkled those on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds just continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He could not. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around them, waving his arms, but instead they scattered in every direction, every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And that's when he realized that they were afraid of him. They were afraid of him. To him, he reasoned, I'm a strange, terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them but to help them, but how? Any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird now, if I could be a bird and mingle with them and speak their language and tell them not to be afraid, then I could show them the way to the safe warm barn, but I would have to be one of them, wouldn't I? So they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sounds of the wind. And he stood there listening to the bells at Deste Fidelis, listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. Paul Harvey, I hope for you and those you love, this will be a wonderfully Merry Christmas. Oh, I love that. 1965. Can you believe that? 1965. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful parable. I just absolutely just love that. And uh, there's so many I love. It's hard to kind of choose because there's only so much show. But uh, that one has always had a had a just a, a sweetness about it, that story. So I always appreciated uh, Paul Harvey and his uh, different recordings for sure. And of course, you know, I just uh, as we go into the next hour, I want to play another special story. I, I play every year for you. But, you know, um, we've never been without 
hope. And we've never been, doesn't matter what people we're talking about. It doesn't matter what century we're talking about. We've always had hope. We've always had a way, a way to correct, a way out, a way to, um, to gain freedom, a way to, to get liberty. We've always had that. Go back in history. There was Moses, there was Spartacus, there was all kinds of people, influential, but it was always the people. It was always the people that got together and got their liberty back. We've never been without a way. Be right back. Kate Daly Show, katedalyradio.com.